Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. We are so excited to let you know that our brand new book, Simple Money, Rich Life, is finally out. Yes, and if you enjoy the podcast, we think you're gonna love it. And if you like hearing our friendly voices, then you should grab the audiobook yes. on Audible. And if you don't, then just grab the paperback, grab the Kindle. <laughs> and if you do grab a copy, we want to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us an email and let us know what you think. Yeah. And again, the name is Simple Money, Rich Life, and you can grab your copy anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Pretty much any place that sells books, they <laughs> should have it. Hey, everyone. I am super excited today because we get to bring on a really cool guest. His name is Brant Hansen. And he's a radio host and the host of a really cool podcast you might have heard of, the Brant and Sherry Oddcast, which I just love that name. And he just wrote this book called The Men That We Need, which I'm really loving. And it's just a really powerful book, really for any man. Yeah, we're, we'll get into some of the details of what we're covering in there. But all that to say, it's a book you should definitely run out and check out. And well, anyway, I'm trying to get the card before the horse. So anyway, Brant, thank you for coming on and spending a little time chatting with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So I want to start with your upbringing because we're, we're talking here about men, the men that we need. And I assume, you know, there's this implication here that we don't have enough of these men. So my question to you, just starting with your upbringing, what was it like? Did you have a lot of good, godly men in your life, godly masculinity being displayed for you to see? What was it like for you? I wouldn't say I did. I went through a lot of trauma and stuff. And my dad was a pastor, but we, our family broke up. Like they got remarried to each other too, and then divorced again. And so we went through a lot. And my dad, you know, he's forgiven and um, it is what it is. And so he doesn't need to regret anymore. He's forgiven and yeah. my life is fine. And so is my brothers. But no, I wouldn't say we had a good example. In fact, like on paper, most people would think I would have been an atheist, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the stuff that we went through in a very religious setting, small towns in Illinois and Indiana, yeah, we yeah. moved around a lot. So yeah, it's kind of coming out of a having to sort of figure this out for myself kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, you'll notice through this conversation, I want to bounce around a little bit, but sure. Because I think a lot of people who are in the church a while see pastor's kids. I mean, like you said, especially when there's trauma and there's stuff happening that gives them, the devil gives them a good excuse to turn their backs on God. So what do you think for you helped you not do that? I can tell you this, and it's a little astonishing, I think, to people, they don't believe it. But I'm the most skeptical person that I know, and the most skeptical person that pretty much anybody has met who knows wow. me. Yeah. I need more than just claims. Yeah. In fact, true story, I used to interview the guy who was the head of the American Humanist Association. He's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which is still around in some form. <laughs> and I would interview this guy. He's obviously coming at it from a completely different angle. He literally said, you're more skeptical than I am. Wow. And you're a Christian. <laughs> and it's true. And the reason is I'm so jaded and so yeah. skeptical. Yeah. But Jesus makes so much sense to me as a result. Yeah. Yeah. The way he talks about human nature. The way he calls out certain things, like 
it's medicinal. Jesus himself is so compelling, and he accounts for sin, which to me seems like a pretty obvious fact of the world is that humans don't love each other like we should. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people who don't think that that's an issue, like I don't know how you could possibly... And I'm skeptical of atheistic claims. I'm I'm skeptical of the alternatives to Jesus as well. So I'm kind of an equal opportunity skeptic, but it's chased me back around (laughs) to Jesus. So there's your answer. Yeah. (laughs) That's really interesting. And that's encouraging to hear. Like, cause I think that's the coolest thing is just knowing that God can reach the heart of anyone, regardless mm-hmm. of whatever their skepticism yeah. or their intelligence or whatever the thing might be that normally prevents someone from coming to Christ. So, all right. So let's transition back a little bit. Let's talk about what's wrong with Christian men today. So I'll let you take this anywhere, any direction you want to, but clearly you've identified something or else you wouldn't have wasted your time writing a book, right? Yeah. Well, it's not so much just with Christian men. It's with the fact that we can't seem to articulate what masculinity is good for. Mm. Yeah. Like we can't, yeah. even in church cultures, we, we deconstruct it left and right. And I think that's understandable. I mean, we don't want toxic masculinity, but yeah. it's like we've got all the puzzle pieces, but we don't have the box top to look at. Yeah. So there's like these just Good. ideas about masculinity that get toted around. And, and on one end, it literally is like, I know it means to be strong, maybe be good at hunting, be you know, have some tats, an awesome truck or whatever. So there's the trappings of this stuff. Yeah. And then like, what, what is that? What, can we actually pin down what's beautiful and distinct about masculinity? And of course, on the other end, they can't make any distinctions. We can only deconstruct masculinity and never say anything good about it, like distinctly good. So this is my attempt to take a shot at it and say, I think this is what it is. Yeah. So it's kind of a box top thing. And I think we need that to recalibrate and go, oh, that's right. That's what this is for. It's not the other stuff. Those are all just indicators or signs or trappings. But what is it really for? And once we understand what that is, and it's not that complex, but once we understand it, I think it's freeing because even guys like me, I actually am more of a nerdy sort of person. I don't hunt. I play the flute. I have a puppet (laughs) collection. Like I was the president of the Illinois Student Librarians Association for the entire state. (laughs) That is impressive. (laughs) Yeah. So for guys like me to be able to say, no, I think I get what it is. And then to actually live that out and find out, I think that is it. I think this is what God created us for. So that's what I'm trying to articulate in this book. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you think you sort of put this puzzle together without having that box top to look at? Well, I'm sure there's no original thoughts in the world. So I'm sure I've read things over time that have pointed this out, but Mm -hmm. I have been struck by, and I even start the book with a story because I want to get guys' attention off the bat, especially younger guys in this case, but just Mm -hmm. period. And I talk about this poster that I saw in college. I was at the University of Illinois going around campus and in the women's house. It was a Christian women's house, but they gave us a little tour. The guys at the analog guy's house across the street of their room. Every room had the same poster of this dude in it. So these are all Christian girls and they had the same poster. I'm like, what is the deal with this guy? I'm just coming out of high school, right? So I haven't been in that many environments. And it's the most, the biggest selling poster in the history of posters to this day. It's called, it? it's called L'Enfant. And you would recognize it, I think, if you saw it. Although I'm, I imagine older than you, but it was like so hot at the time. It's a guy with his shirt you know how to off. Spell it? <laughs> I want to Google this thing. Do you know how to spell yeah, it? Okay. So it's L'Enfant. So it's L apostrophe E N F A N T. So the baby in French. And La Francais, L'Enfant poster. L'Enfant. Look it up. Images. And while you're doing that, I will say this for people who are listening, you won't be able to see it. It is a guy 
with his shirt off. He's he, holding he, the baby? He, he's holding the baby. It's a profile. Oh, wow. Now, I know the guy's good looking. I'm sure of it. But there's a trillion, you know, male model photos right. I'm sure they could use. Yeah. And I asked, so what, what's the deal with this? And they said, it's not him. It's the way the baby's looking at him. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I that, see that. That makes him so attractive. Mm-hmm. So again, you can find attractive guys to take pictures of, but this particular poster it is because of the look in the infant's eye. This wow. this poster has sold 5 million copies. Wow. Dang. So that to me was really interesting. Just as a guy, it was like, what is it that women are really looking for? Because I'm always wondering, you know, of course you wonder about that. <laughs> yeah. And that sent me down this path about protection of the vulnerable and how women respond when we provide security around us. And then I noticed, wait a second, why is it the most attractive professions are always firefighter, you know, police, that kind of stuff? What is it? Is it, it can't be the reflective. It's not dentists. Are you sure? Yeah, it's not. (laughs) Isn't that something though? Like it's not radio, it's not radio hosts. I just find that very interesting. So Adam is given the job by God of keeper of the garden before Eve is on the scene. Now she's given a remarkable position of the Acer, which is like rescuer. God is described with that phrase many times in the Old Testament. He comes as a rescuer with his armies. That's Eve. But Adam's a keeper of the garden. He's, He's supposed to be the protector of this space and these in a garden. If you start thinking about it, a garden, you have all these vulnerable species in there that would not survive out in the wild. That's one of the things about a garden and tending it. Mm-hmm. Good. Like you're cult- yeah, you're cultivating, you're creating this space for the vulnerable can survive. Now, I keep saying in the book, I'm not writing the book to say to guys, this you should do this because women think it's hot or think it's attractive. Yeah. But it's instructive that women know intuitively that this is what we're for. And yeah. I'm saying you don't have to be a jacked, killing guy in a quote unquote masculine sense, like, you know, big and strong and all that. Benching 500 pounds, yeah. No, right. Benching 500. Like, you don't have to do that. If you create security, if you make your wife feel secure, she will find that extremely attractive. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. And the women who read this book are like, I'm buying this forever because that's exactly right. Conversely, if you are jacked and you have incredible abs, but you don't make your wife feel secure, Mm -hmm. she'll actually resent your muscles. Hmm. She'll be repulsed by them because you use them to make her feel insecure or you're a threat. Like being a threat, being a threat to a woman or to the vulnerable, you are betraying your role of the keeper of the garden, the protector of this space and the cultivator of the vulnerable. Like, so the great thing is you can use any gifts. I want to try to get across to guys about box top. You can use whatever gifts you have to do this. Like me, all I have is words. Basically, I can't hunt. I have neurological problems. I got all sorts of things. But God gives us all gifts and we can use what we have. And so the book is about how to do that, like with whatever you've got to become yeah. this source of security for other people. Yeah, that's good. There's a quote in here that I, I love what you said here. And I'd love to just chat about this a little bit. He said, there are real humans outside your window who will suffer because you aren't who we need you to be. We just, I think it was just like a week ago, we posted something on Instagram, pretty much encouraging people to not believe the lie of people in their lives who have told them that you're not good enough to this, you know, because I I had many people in my life at multiple points say, no, you're not good enough. You're not gonna be able to do that. When I sensed God calling me to it, and I had fight through those lies that were trying to hold me back. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it really resonated with our audience and there's a lot of response to it. And so I think there's something here. Talk a little bit about that, what that yeah. looks like. Okay, so our cultural ethos, as you know, is as long as I'm not hurting somebody, what's it matter? 
And so we see a ton of guys, middle-aged on down, and older guys too, they just check out. Yeah, It's like, I'll have my pornography, my video games, I'll set up inside, I'll become a shut-in basically to technology or whatever. And the argument is, well, if I'm not hurting anybody, and my rejoinder to that, and this could be teenage guys too, they just, just camp out with the games and stuff. I get it. The games are fun. I totally get the dopamine hit draw. I understand it. I'm not against video games, for instance. Yeah. But you are hurting people. Yeah. Because you were given gifts mm-hmm. to be a keeper of the garden. You actually have a purpose and no one else is put where you are with the experiences that you have around the people, your friends, family, neighbors, whoever, schoolmates, coworkers, no one has the exact arrangement that you are given. And you're supposed to add value to people's lives around you. So to say, I'm not hurting anybody is false. It's a lie. And for a younger guy too, I'm like, look, women, there are women desperate to find good guys. And by good guys, I mean, keepers of the garden, not perfect, but that have this purpose. And if you don't show up, Yeah. People will hurt because you didn't show up. You were supposed to show up. Yeah. That brings me to another sentence you had in here that's just so powerful and I love. I wish we had a billboard with this. It says, please don't waste your God-given desire for adventure and accomplishment by being a fake hero fighting fake injustices in fake worlds. And it's like, yeah, I've never been someone who spends... 10 hours a day playing video games, but I do enjoy playing a game, play with my son. I don't know, maybe an hour, half hour every night, but I'm right there with you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But I think all of us know people who use them to escape and, and there is a sense of accomplishment. I mean, a lot of different games where you can feel really significant and I don't want to like say that there's no value in that, but I I think what you're saying is so powerful and so necessary because there's so many real battles that need to be fought, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. And you're given this God-given desire for it. That's why it's so fun. And the dopamine hits are real. And you can get addicted to anything that gives you a dopamine hit. And I'm not arguing that they're evil because I don't think they are. But I can sit there for 10 hours. I can. I've I've done it. I can sit there for 16 hours and the sun has come up and gone down. I didn't notice. I didn't go to the bathroom. (laughs) I forgot to eat. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I get it. I'm not coming at it at all from a hit you over the head with a guilt trip. Yeah. But, but all that to say, especially to younger guys, if I get a chance, I'm like, you don't want to look back on your life and go, actually, I just sat. That's a satanic trick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it, he yeah. always takes the fake, makes it look like the real, and it makes it pay off in your head like it's real, and then it's not. Mm. So mm. The, the more vivid example is obviously pornography. And I'm trying to tell guys, yeah. it's not a guilt trip. But understand, a real woman will call you out to grow up. But these women will not. In fact, they're not even women. They're just pixels on a screen. But the fake thing that's tricking your brain will never make you get up at 2 a.m. and go to CVS because she's not feeling very good. And she needs. they'll never call you out, never argue with you, never challenge you. But those yeah. are the things that make us grow up. Mm-hmm. So these, these things are false things to keep us from growing up. And we don't want to look back and have missed out on what we could have been. Yeah. That's so good. So yeah, I just highlighted a lot of just great one-liners you had in this book because there's a lot. And so this one here, I'm curious what you think about this. To most women, a man with enthusiastic purpose who isn't rich is far more attractive than a lazy, purposeless man who happens to have money. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear that. You're, you're nailing it. You're nailing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and I, that was actually one of the things that I was drawn to you in the beginning hmm. is because there were- Because I was so broke. There were, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you did not have a lot of money, but you also recognized it. And at that time you were like, 
I need to get my finances in order. And I remember you being like, I'm going to be a business owner one day. And I would say, well, what kind of business do you want to have? And you go, I don't know, but I'm going to be a business owner. Hmm. And it's hmm. interesting hearing you say that. And then mm -hmm. obviously now yeah. we're, while we're in this position, but what, that was one of those things is there were some other people around, but I didn't see a lot that had the drive that you had. And to me, that was like, oh, well, he's, he doesn't need to be any place now. He's going to be because he's so driven and determined. And, yeah. you know, he's uh, comfortable with a seed being small and needing time to grow. I love that. I know my experience, most women feel that way. My wife has taught me so much about this over the years. We've been married 32 years. Like, wow. Yeah. But I've learned and it doesn't have to be, but it doesn't have to be what the world considers success. You don't have to be ambitious about becoming extremely wealthy yeah. or ambitious. It doesn't have to be that. But if you have a, a purpose, and this is what I'm saying, you can work at Taco Bell, whatever, but if you view your job as, you know what, I'm going to do it all out. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like God is my boss yeah. and I'm going to do this to serve people because people need food and it, it's a convenience for parents or people that are on the run. Like I'm, I'm serving people, adding value to their lives. If you're like that, women respond to the vector of having purpose and realizing what I'm supposed to do in life. Yeah. yeah so I it mean, doesn't, it takes the pressure off for a guy actually, because you realize yeah. I can do that wherever I am. Yeah. Even to further that point, I remember when he got laid off from his job and we felt like the Lord was saying we, he wanted us to pursue this full time. And there was, honestly, we were making $100 a month from it. Like, Blogging it was not, in 2008. There was not any reason for <laughs> that, for us to actually do that, right? But we felt that yeah. the Lord was calling us. And I remember Bob saying, okay, he came up with this plan and said, all right, if this doesn't work, like if we don't see any progress by this point, he said, I will go work down the street at Starbucks. I'll walk there. We can sell my car. We won't have to pay nice. for gas, you know? And in his mind, he just went through the scenario, which created a security for me. Bingo. Because, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. Because I felt secure, like, all right, well, he's not just going to make me do all the work. He's not going to sit there and be like, no, God told me that I'm going to do this. So I'm just going to sit here until something happens. Isn't he that was something? like, actively moving forward in it, which was, it really did create a lot of security for me because people are like, how did you not freak out? And I thought, well, because you know, you know, he's willing to do whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, his character. So yeah. I actually tell a quick story in the book about it was something, it wasn't that long ago, but right outside our little townhouse here, there was some kind of weird teenage something going on. They're fighting in the streets or whatever. It was like, I don't know what was going on. It was a big group of, of young people. Mm -hmm. And it was like 11 o'clock and they're raising a ruckus. And honestly, I was like, we're in bed and my wife keeps getting up and looking out the window and looking down. Like, let's just turn up our fan louder. You know, it's not <laughs> that loud. I'm not worried about it. They're out there just messing around. But she actually went downstairs mm -hmm. and this is 11 and I'm still lying in bed. I'm like, okay, get up. It's not a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to her. And I went downstairs and I threw on a shirt or whatever and went outside to go do whatever. Well, as I was walking out, they all dispersed. And I don't even think I don't even think it was because of me. I think they were just leaving. And I came back in and my wife said, That is so attractive. <laughs> and I am not a fighter by nature or anything. And I wasn't going out there. I was just gonna like, I'm gonna take care of this. It bothers my wife. I'm showing up. And I didn't even do anything. <laughs> yeah. But it was the willingness. Yeah. To do yeah. something that makes her feel secure, to know that I will show up. If she feels threatened, I am going to show up. That alone was enough for her to think, wow, that's really awesome. And that's that's after being married for 32 years. Yeah. So I'm trying to tell guys too, like if your wife knows your character, that you are 
gonna go to Starbucks if you have to. Like, I'm not gonna let this thing fall apart. I will do what it takes. Like, that's very attractive to a woman. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to add to this that I just highlights this point of it doesn't really matter where you are. Like, just do this wherever. I was, we were just did this like quick Bible study on Acts 6 where you have the apostles saying, all right. We need to focus our time on prayer and the word of God. And so we can't wait on tables anymore for the widows and we need some other people to step up. And so they delegate that task to Stephen. Stephen comes in and does it with all his might and does it with excellence. And there's this verse in that chapter that specifically says God was doing mighty signs and wonders through Stephen and through (laughs) what he was doing. And so there's nothing lesser about that task that he was doing, Mm -hmm. even though a lot of Mm -hmm. people from the outside would view that as a lower level task, like in God's eyes, it's not, you know? No. And work is such an awesome thing. It's so great. Like without it, we just kind of wither. Yeah. Yeah. But the beauty of it is like, you're getting paid to serve people. Like otherwise you probably wouldn't serve people so much. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with getting paid. But it's like, it's all to add value to somebody's life, no matter what you're doing. If you're mopping floors, you can be like, oh, I'm just mopping a floor at the residential center. No. If you don't mop the floor, people get sick. Yeah. yeah. Like these are people maybe at a residential center who are vulnerable and or maybe they're old people. Like they've gone through enough in life. They deserve clean floors. Like what you're doing is beautiful and it adds value to people's lives. If you're making yep. ice cream cones, you like whatever, it's something beautiful that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we need to see our work in those terms too, and then to throw our all into it, bring the passion to it. Yeah. All right. I want to transition to you were talking about contentment a bit in the book. And this is something that you know, I think we talk about a lot because contentment is a really big part of, I think, doing the money thing right, handling money right. And so you have this quote in here, we say, contentment brings freedom, discontentment makes you dependent. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I mean, the freedom, what I'm trying to tell guys is to practice saying this, wow, that's awesome. And I don't have to have it. Yeah. It's very weird. It's not a very American thing to say because our economy kind of depends on us inventing new needs. But if you can look at a beautiful car and say, wow, that's an incredible car. And I'm not going to own it. Wow. And you can do this with. I'm comfortable. Right. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great boat. And I'm not going to buy that. I never am going to buy it. Like I don't have to have it. Yeah. And the same thing goes with, say, a woman. You can say, wow, that that woman's beautiful and off limits. So anyway, what else is going on? Like, I don't have to own it, possess it, fantasize about it, think like this is possible. It's a discipline, but it's very freeing because for obvious reasons, like now I don't have to wait to get that thing to be content. Yeah. The thing you said about your sister. Yes. When you guys were shopping. Yeah. I I went shopping with my sister and. You know, I, lo- I love shopping. Like to me, it's just so much fun. So she finds mm-hmm. a shirt that she likes and I say, oh, let's try it on. And she came and was like, nah, it's not going to happen today. And my initial reaction was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like that just stinks that you can't buy the thing that you want. And she goes, I'm the same without it. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're the same without it. I, it had never occurred to me, you know, and I, it was, it was so freeing, like, but I'm the same person without it. Cause that's not what makes me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, that is a very freeing thing. It's very countercultural. Yeah. Yeah. But being a content person will freak people out too. Just like she freaked you out like that. He did. It, like imagine if people who were all, if we're all Jesus followers, like we're, we're known as the people who are at peace, mm-hmm. the people who aren't angry, the people who aren't anxious, the people who are content no matter what. 
Yeah. yeah. That would be pretty, that'd be pretty joyful and people would want in on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that leads me to something else he said, a great, another quote, people with self-control are more interesting. Tell me more. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember the context of my own book as I was talking about this, but the way Hollywood or, or storytellers usually make it look like the bad people are the most interesting, like mm-hmm. the Joker or something, like he's the compelling one here or whatever. Like that's James not Dean. in real. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. In yeah. real life, that's not how it works. The people who are self-controlled are way more interesting. They wind up with way more interesting lives because they make tough decisions and they struggle, but at least they're struggling. The lack of struggle means I'm going to wind up being an addict. Yeah. And you may notice the trajectory of the, of the addict's life is not actually that interesting. Yeah. It's incredibly one-sided and boring as all get out and then dark. Yeah. Yeah. And there's these, it's so interesting because there's this appearance of freedom that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, but actually you're a slave to those fleshly desires that you have. Yes. You know what I mean? So what you attach yourself to, because we're all worship something and we all make something ultimate. So I would, I recommend attaching yourself to the the best possible thing that will make you truly free Yeah. to thrive and flourish. It's so good. All right. So I appreciate you coming on and joining us in this yeah. conversation. This was really fun. Where can people find the book, you know, and where can they find out more about you and what you're up to? The uh, book is available at all the book places. Again, it's called The Men We Need. I also got some other books too. People are interested. One's called Unoffendable. It's about forgiving people and stuff. It's, but gosh, Amazon, all that sort of stuff. And then for me, I'm at branthanson.com. I'm also on Twitter and stuff. But yeah, that's probably the easiest way is just go to my website. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks yeah. for uh, having a good conversation with us. And Very thanks for writing Thank the book. You. Yeah. Like, I really thanks. am enjoying it. It's a great book. Glad you're doing it. Glad you're saying what needs to be said. Same to you. Thanks for doing what you guys do. It's huge. Just massively important. So appreciate it. All right, brother. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money Podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.